bigger, badder, and more. And I, I just want to tell you on the front end, this is not an easy message. Buckle up. This is not an easy one. But I promise you, this is a gospel-saturated message. And the words we're going to look into here in Luke are words that Jesus says repeatedly across Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus promised us things like abiding hope. He promised us eternal life. He promised us forgiveness here and now. He promised us deep, meaningful community. He promised us meaningful work, service in this world, as well as genuine rest where we can be refreshed. He promised us growing freedom to do what is right and to follow God. He promised us a fruit-filled life where we have this beautiful character of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. The simple truth is many of us don't experience all that he promises on a regular basis, do we? Maybe most clearly, Jesus put it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. There is a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. I think of it this way. There's a thief who comes to steal your joy, kill your hope, destroy your peace. But I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and not just an eke it out and get by until you get to heaven kind of life, a life in abundance. Amen? This is what Jesus came to provide for us. It's one of his purpose statements. Jesus' goal is not simply that you would get saved and then eke it out until you die. Do we believe that? His goal is that we would have life and have it in increasing and greater abundance. But many of us just don't experience that, do we? I want to tell you here as we wrap up this series today that one of the main reasons that we don't experience it is because we don't go for it. Friends, you got to go for it. I, I, I promise you by listening to the last seven messages, you won't have the good life. I promise you that. By giving these last seven messages, I won't have the good life. It's by going for these practices that are listed on the back of that card, living in it, refusing to settle for second best as this world and as the thief offers to us, but rather saying, I'm going to go after what Jesus has presented, his way of life, doing it his way, giving myself to his kind of practices and disciplines, and then perhaps taking the long view, I will experience more of the abundant life that he has for us. It's an active pursuit. I promise you, it's not passive. The truth is, we are offered by our God the richest of holidays at the sea, as C.S. Lewis put it. But we tend to settle for very easy mud pies in the slum. The holiday at the sea takes some work. And grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is definitely opposed to earning. You cannot earn God's grace. But if you want to experience more of God's grace on a daily basis, it does require your effort. 
We are offered not mud pies in the slum. We are offered a holiday at the sea. But we tend to settle. And nowhere is our settling more obvious than in our modern, endless pursuit of happiness. Today we're going to confront the most obvious threat to our faith and, I would say, to the church today in the 21st century. Today we are also confronting the most worldly portrait of the good life that we see on TV and on the internet all the time. And today we are, con- we are confronted by one of Jesus' most surprising paradoxes of the good life. It's this idea that the good life is about bigger and badder and more. Sexier, more beautiful, and newer. That's the idea that we get all the time from this world, that the good life is bigger, badder, more, powerful, youthful, abundant, more and more. And Jesus resists the consumeristic pursuit with the most stunning force. Look at these three power-packed verses out of Luke chapter 9. They're up on the screen as well if you're not there in your Bible right now. Here's Jesus to his disciples, Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 23. Jesus said to them all, to all of his disciples, and I would venture to all of us, his disciples today as well, those who would be his disciples, he would say this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And take up their cross. And daily follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? What's our creator saying there? He's saying we can naturally go after our own life, our sense of what the self is, as it's been handed down to us by our culture, by our nation, by our family. And we can get life a certain way that way, but we end up losing real life if we do it that way. There's a natural way that we all go after life, and it's the consumeristic pursuit Not just of things, but of bigger and badder and more powerful and more status. And if you go after that, you will gain some things. But Jesus says, you will lose your life as God created you to live it. That's the plain reading of his word. Now what he's not talking about here is heaven or hell. He's not talking about that. Nor is he talking about how to avoid premature death. He's not talking about that either. He's talking about going after life the way we think it should be. And we all naturally think that life is found in bigger, badder, and more, don't we? Can we just admit that naturally, in our natural self, the way we were born and the way we were raised and what is just in us by nature, would you raise your hand with me if you'd agree, naturally we think that is the good life. Anyone? Okay. About half of the room is honest. Thank you. All right, you're all honest. I'm sorry. I, okay. So it was a lame pastoral attempt at humor. Okay. Um, 
We all naturally think that the good life is acquiring. That's the way we're born. It's part of our sinful nature. And Jesus is saying, no, the good life is actually found through sacrifice. Through denying yourself. Through picking up your cross daily and following him. And over time, he's talking about a, becoming a person of settled character and love and joy as we get to enjoy life as Jesus wants for us for the glory of God alone. Whoever loses their life by picking up their cross of sacrificial love will find real life. And Jesus, again, he spoke like this all the time. His vision for real life is quite different than the vision of real life that's been handed down to us. Here's the lie that all of us have been taught at one time or another to believe, and perhaps we even believe today. The lie is that bigger and badder and more will lead to lasting pleasure. Let's read that out loud together from the screen. Would you please join me here? And you can join online. If you're watching online right now, you can speak to your computer screen. Ready? The lie is that bigger and badder or more will lead to lasting pleasure. That's a false dream. It's a false dream. Let me say that right now. Write that down. It's a false dream. That's been tried by millions upon millions upon millions. As the great John Rockefeller put it, who may be the richest man in world history, how much money is necessary to make a man happy? Just a little bit more. So he said he's perhaps the richest man in world history. How much money is necessary to make a man happy? Just a little bit more than I already have. There was a major talk show radio host who's interviewed hundreds of people over the past several years asking this one question, what did your parents most want for you when you were growing up? Did they want success, wealth, for you to be a good person, or happiness? What do you think was number one? Number one, and it wasn't even close, was happiness. 85% of parents said what I most want for my kids is not that they would be a good person, I want happiness for them. And the way Americans have begun to describe happiness, define happiness over the past couple generations is this, my ongoing pleasurable satisfaction. It's this belief that I will gain pleasure and it will last and there will be an absence of boredom and therefore I have happiness. You got to understand that for some of us, the primary obstacle between us today and the good life over here is a lack of effort, a lack of effort, as I talked about already. But for many of us, the primary obstacle between us today and the good life over here that Jesus would offer to us is we have the wrong vision. We got the wrong target. Frequently, we are aiming the arrow in the wrong direction that Jesus' vision of the good life is very different than the vision of the good life that we were born into. Okay, the vision of the good life that we were born into is about this consumeristic pursuit of bigger and badder and more, but the vision of the good life that Jesus invites us to is one of sacrifice Amen. and simplicity 
and service and frugality and giving of oneself for others and abiding in Christ and enjoying Him. And so one of the main obstacles for many of us to enjoying the good life is just having the wrong dream. Having the wrong target, the wrong goal. And sometimes the, the obstacle is, i got to have a bigger and better truck. Friends, that's a mud pie in the slum compared to the holiday to see. You've had that, and you know it satisfies you for about three or four weeks. Maybe longer if it's a really great truck. Okay. Um, for some of us, it's, you know, i got to stay in touch with the greatest fashions, all the newest gadgets. Okay, those are mud pies in the slums. I got to have certain letters behind my name. I have to accumulate more power, more status, more likes on social media, more friends on social media. I got to become an influencer, and then I will have arrived. No, you won't. You'll still be longing for more and more and more. Those are mud pies when we are offered a holiday at the sea. It's like Turkish delight in the famous book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We get some and we want more and more and more until it becomes addictive and enslaving to us. Indeed, this overemphasis of living an adrenalized kind of life that needs to constantly be filled with calories and images and gadgets and likes is addictive. It's an addictive kind of lifestyle. And it's not specific to young people. That's one of the false things that we say sometimes that I think really hurts the emerging generations. In many ways, I think Generation Z and the millennials are pointing the way to us, saying, I want a life of more meaning and more hope and more purpose and giving of myself to something that really, really matters. But if you go back over the past 40 or 50 years, this is not a new thing at all. There was a, a study done a number of years ago by psychologist Martin Seligman, who spent his entire career studying happiness and corresponding depression. And he noted in the 1980s that baby boomers in comparison to previous generations, like the great generation just before them, in comparison to previous generations, were experiencing, get this, a tenfold increase in depression. During the 1980s, as their general standard of living was exploding. That's really when it started in the United States was this idea that happiness is equated with pleasurable satisfaction, and you can never get enough. And it led to a tenfold increase in depression. Friends, this is a culture-wide problem, and it affects us all, me included, okay? All of us, everyone on stage and everyone in the audience today. It affects us all. One poet by the name of Manta Argawal describes it as affluenza. Listen to this poem, it's beautiful. Affluenza is the new affection. I, I better read the poem right, sorry. <laughs> affluenza is the new affliction. It is a fact, not a fiction. Everyone has increased his pace to join the rat race. Credit cards and banks offer loans on the telephone. Car home on EMI, at your earliest, you must buy. 
Malls every day multiply. It's a question of demand and supply. 24-7 advertising blitz, decision makers are the kids. A very dear friend in a moment of weakness confessed, retail therapy is worth a try. When low, it gives a high. With lifestyle diseases, young are down, lament doctors with a frown. The only cure is to simplify if at a ripe old age you want to die. Mm. This is the greatest existential daily threat to the development of the good life in the church today. It's a consumeristic mindset. It's affluenza. If you're not careful, it will even affect the way you view God. It will certainly affect the way you view church. That I come to church for what it gives to me. I come to God as a product for what He gives to me. Look at verse 25. Jesus says this, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? What would you put in parenthesis there? What goodies would you put in there? What good is it to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit your very self? What good would it be to gain everything and lose or forfeit the way God wants us to live? Just a few chapters later in Luke chapter 12, Jesus puts it this way. He says, watch out. Watch out. I sometimes just imagine Jesus shouting this to me. Adrian, watch out. Be on your guard, Adrian. Against every form of greed, Adrian. Because a man's life does not consist in abundance of possessions. So watch out, Adrian. And I, I, I've had to allow Jesus to preach that to me on many different occasions in my life because I can struggle with this too, just like anyone else. Be on your guard against every form of greed because your life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And if you gain the whole world, yet you forfeit your very life the way God intends it, boy, you've missed out. Now, friends, that's the bad news. The bad news is that our cultural and sometimes our family definitions of the good life end up colliding with Jesus' definition of the good life. And so what's the antidote to it? What is Jesus' definition of the good life? Here's the truth. The truth is that self-sacrifice and simplicity can lead us to a settled tone of joy and freedom. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live the roller coaster life anymore. I don't want to live, I've lived the roller coaster life. It wasn't good. I want a settled tone of joy and freedom. And that's going to come to us in part as we practice simplicity and self sacrifice. The good life should be deeply liberating. It's enjoying God, it's abiding in Christ, it's enjoying people. It's remaining in the vine and having the fruit of the Spirit come out from us. And then out of that is this life of simplicity and service to others. Look again at verse 23 and 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and and follow me. 
You see, Jesus is not after fans, he's after followers, right? So deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Not to be a fan of Jesus, but to be a follower of Jesus. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will actually find it. Follow me. It's really pretty simple. Follow me, and I will show you the way you will find real and abundant life in me. And it happens, Jesus says, as we deny ourselves, as we practice self-sacrifice and even simplicity. Now, I can almost hear people asking right now, what, what does self-sacrifice look like? What does it look like to deny yourself, as Jesus talks about all the time in the Gospels? And there can certainly be inappropriate expressions of self-sacrifice and self-denial, and there can be appropriate expressions of self-denial. Let me just list a few inappropriate expressions of self-denial. It is inappropriate to say, you should not celebrate. Our God is a God of celebration, Right? You see festivities and celebrations and great parties all over the Bible, okay? So it's a wonderful thing to celebrate, but you don't look to the party, you don't look for the festival as the goal of life. It's an outcome of a good life, not the goal. But it's inappropriate to tell people to deny themselves of what God invites them to enjoy through the very pages of Scripture. So that's inappropriate self-denial. It's also inappropriate to say to people, well, to be a real Christian, to be a real spiritual Christian, you got to take on a vow of poverty. Have you heard something like that before? Okay, that, that's false. Nowhere does the Bible tell you that you must take on a vow of poverty. The Bible does say be on guard against riches. It's really quiet in here. I, I have to be on guard against riches. I live in 2020 United States. I better be on guard against riches. The Bible does say that, but it nowhere says that the good life is one of poverty. No, that's inappropriate self-denial. Here's another form of inappropriate self-denial. For me to tell you how you should practice self-denial. That's inappropriate. And it's inappropriate for you to elbow the person next to you and tell them how to practice self-denial. What you need to do is do business with Jesus. Just like I need to do business with Jesus. And see clearly from the pages of Scripture that he exhorts us all toward self-denial. And what would that look like for you? And that will look different for you than it might look for me. And we allow each person to do business with God themselves such that legalism has no place, right? Legalism has no place in this. But the clear word of the Scripture is that we are to practice simplicity and self-denial. So how are we doing it? And what are the effects? What are the outcomes of this? Well, thank you for asking. So many in every way. Like, my goodness, if you practice self-denial, then you will have self-control. No self-control, no good life. I promise. No self-control, no good life. If you practice self-denial, you will have a life of service. Much more easily, service comes out of self-denial. What if husbands and wives in this room made this one decision today? As a husband, I will think her before me. As a wife, I will think him before me. And what if we made that one decision in our marriages? Would our marriages not be way happier They'd be so much different because we'd be in this pattern of I'll serve you and you serve me in this life-giving pattern that emerges out of that. It's a beautiful thing. 
Simplicity and frugality unclutters life. How about that? There's a wonderful result. You want a less cluttered life? Be more simple. Live a more simple life and you'll have a less cluttered life. Simplicity and frugality leaves more space for relationships because you're less encumbered by stuff. Amen. What a wonderful thing. The Apostle Paul said, simplicity and frugality and self-sacrifice led him to contentment. Philippians chapter 4. Look at this passage on the screen. It's one of the greatest passages in the entire Bible. I know what it is to live in plenty, and I know what it is to live in want. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, wouldn't you want to be able to say that? Yeah. Like, not I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in some vague, ethereal sense, but through poverty. Living in plenty or living in want, I am content because Christ is my king and I've learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance. You see, the Apostle Paul could say that because he had dropped comparison he had lived a life of simplicity and self-sacrifice. And comparison is this awful thief of joy. And when you live a life of simplicity and self-sacrifice, then you can be content with what you have. You can be grateful for what you have. Uh, maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning. I don't know. It's so quiet in here. But like, I mean, I bought an iPhone 10 about a year and a half ago. And as my luck would have it, about two weeks later, iPhone 11 came out. So what's going on in my system at that point? I want it. Oh, I want it. Why didn't I wait two more weeks? This phone isn't nearly as good as that. Come on. That comparison is a thief of joy. And we can do that across all of life. But what God wants for us is the settled tone of freedom and joy that comes out of simplicity and sacrifice. And that can be ours as we have this vision of what the good life is, and we go after that. And God will give us some pleasure along the way also, but you aim at the first thing, you aim at the priority, and then the secondary things fall underneath that. Those who aim at pleasurable satisfaction will never be satisfied. Those who aim at truth, and self-sacrifice and Jesus every day, they will get some pleasurable satisfaction as well thrown in on the side. This is just the way it is. I want to show you a video of a man in our church. It's just a wonderful example to me of this. His name is Matt Mortensen. Matt and Angela are my neighbors, wonderful folks. And they've come on lean times recently, but he has a settled tone of joy that is extraordinary as he's had to go through some difficult changes recently, but God has been right in the center of them. Take a look at this video. Hey, my name is Matt Mortensen. Um, I have a rather large family. Uh, Angela and I met, it's been almost eight years. January of 2013 is when we started dating. We were married later that year here at E-Free Church by Pastor Mike Shields in November. So we've been married just seven years now. Uh, my wife has a 10-year-old, Isabel. She has a 15-year-old race and a 19-year-old, Olivia. And then I have a 10-year-old, Cooper, a 20-year-old, Austin, and a 21-year-old, Jolyn. So we have six kids between us. We have two bonus kids, a 14-year-old Xander that lived with us just for a little over a year, just moved recently back with his brother. And then my wife has a stepdaughter from a previous marriage 
that's 26 years old, Saley. She has four kids, and all four of those kids call us grandma and grandpa. So we have a really large family, six kids and two bonus kids and four grandkids. So I started out with Crossroads Ford, and then Platte Valley Auto took over, and I was there for a little over about five and a half years. Uh, my position consisted of doing the paper. If you bought a vehicle, you did the paperwork with me. So everybody went through my office. So again, a tough position, tough to be gone. Uh, it was tough to get out of there for anything, really, because you had to be there if a car was sold. So. Um, it was a heavy workload. Uh, we worked six days a week. We were also open Sundays, one to four, and you rotated with three or four people. So every once in a while you'd have seven days a week, and it usually consists of 60 to 70 hours a week and not much time away. We all had a designated day off. My day off was Tuesday, which meant getting out of there maybe by two or three or four in the afternoon. You'd get out two or three hours earlier than the normal person. And then, it, again, it just depended if there was business later on that day, whether you'd get to leave anyway. So. But a lot of hours, a lot of days, a lot of hours. Um, one thing I loved about the job were all of the people that I worked with, everybody you get to meet. I mean, I can't believe the amount of people that I've met over the last five, five and a half to six years. Um, the money was great. I'll talk a couple of times about money. Um, I mean, I was the highest paid employee in the entire dealership. So uh, what led me to make a change was about four to five years of missing everything race, his hockey, um, Isabel, volleyball, um, Cooper, wrestling. I didn't get to go to any of those. Uh, family trips on weekends, uh, whether it was hockey trips or trip. My wife has a, has a brother and a sister-in-law that live in Texas and they went out there three or four different times. I was right here in Kearney, Nebraska working at my desk at my job. Um, just a lot of things that I missed out on. Everybody that knows me, I'm a, a family guy and and that's probably been the toughest thing about it was missing out on those things. Yeah, it was just a <clears throat> just a tough tough thing to watch everything go by. Just it's like I'm sitting there watching life go by and and everything going on with the kids and my wife and trips and vacations and sports and I'm not there. So it was really tough. I knew I needed to find a job that was this, this is everybody's dream job Monday through Friday, work from home 40 hours a week get the weekends to do things with family. I mean, that's, that's what I, I knew I had to somehow put myself out there and hope for the best that I could find something like that. So, um, and then we made the decision to do it. I mean, it was, it was a tough decision, but, but uh, the kids sure love it, I'll tell you that much. And then Angela loves having me around. I love being around. It's, it's changed our lives quite a bit, so. Well, it's, God works in mysterious ways, I'll tell you that much. Uh, I had, we had enough money put aside to make it until, you know, December, January, towards the end of the year is what we thought. And, um, I had a job lined up. I've told you about this, a uh, bank out of Omaha. That job was supposed to start sometime in January or February. They've told me now that they created a position for me, uh, a position that I'll work from home actually Monday through Friday. So everything's lined up, but it won't start until May now. So we had enough money to make it through probably the December, January timeframe and then we needed to figure things out. So I was hoping that my job would start in January. So, so we're still making, we've, we're figuring out ways to make ends meet. This is a story I've got to tell that's a, a really neat story. I get plasma now two times a week. I mean, you figure out any way you can, or anything you can do to make extra money for the family. I make $200 a week given plasma because I had COVID. That helped me get a little bit extra. They were doing a giveaway a couple of weeks ago for an Amazon gift card. I can't tell you how many people give plasma here in Kearney, but that building is packed full all of the time. And I was the name that was drawn 
for the $250 gift card to Amazon. So that was a pretty neat feeling last week going home to my wife and celebrating that. There's, I mean, it had to be, it had to be a God moment for my name out of all of those names to be drawn for $250. I handed that to her, she put it in her Amazon account, and now we have some extra money to buy presents for Christmas. And that wasn't something we were worrying about this year. The kids understand what's going on. We, we know that it's gonna be one of those tight years where it's not all about what you're, what you're receiving, but more about what you give. So, but here it is, it's God provided us a $250 for Angela to buy some presents for the kids. So it's, it seems like things just work out. Uh, to where we can make it another month or another couple weeks and we've just been figuring it out but we know that we haven't been figuring that out it's been God that's helped us figure that out so before the good life was money having a lot of money in the bank account to pay bills now the good life is walking outside when I want and playing catch with my kid or trying to throw the ball 50 yards down to a neighbor that has a couple of kids down from me um, just just being able to do anything the kids want to do before it was you know, wait till dad gets home from work and then it's probably dark already, so we can't play catch. We can maybe do something in the house or watch a movie. We still found ways to do things, but now I can be outside with them, I can travel, I can see their sports. I mean, it's, it's made a big difference, so. I'm Matt's neighbor and uh, he, he can throw the football about 50 yards. It's fun to be outside and play with him from time to time and his wonderful family. Uh, you probably heard it in that story, and I see it from Matt all the time. I really, really admire Matt and Angela. And What you probably heard there, what you saw there, and what I see from him all the time is this settled tone. He doesn't have a job. He has one coming but he has a settled tone of joy and freedom. There's a peacefulness to his spirit because he knows that he heard from God and he knows that he chose higher priorities. His life was mostly with a vision of the good life over here and now his eyes are on a different vision of the good life as he follows Christ and prioritizes his relationship with God and his relationship with his kids. And he has a settled tone of joy and freedom, even as he's heading into a lean holiday season. I, I wonder if you might consider this as your practice as well, along with Matt and Angela, for this Christmas. What if you would intentionally choose simplicity and even sacrifice this Christmas. Do you remember from childhood that some of your very best Christmases were the leanest Christmases of all? You remember that? I remember some of my best Christmases as a kid was when we had hardly anything because it was an opportunity to reinforce what mattered and to get our eyes off of what really didn't matter. And for a lot of us, that's going to require a huge step to intentionally choose simplicity and sacrifice, even though we don't need to choose simplicity and sacrifice. 
Because this choice moves us nearer to the way of Jesus of sometimes choosing to deny yourself. We sometimes choose to deny what we want such that those things cannot grab hold of our hearts. I want to encourage you to consider that as a family. I know that sounds like a nightmare to the kids, but I want to encourage you to consider that as a family. So we wrap up this series here today. I'm going to invite the band up front, and I just want to encourage you as we, we finish these seven weeks in the good life. I, I've heard from many of you that you've really appreciated this series, and it's been helpful for you. Um, but I've also heard from some that say, you know, I've been going for the good life, and it hasn't been happening for me. And I've done a few of these practices that, that you've mentioned, Adrian, but it hasn't been happening for me. And um, I get that, but I just want to encourage you as we wrap up this series to take the long view, okay? It doesn't happen in seven or eight weeks. It happens as you decide that over these next months into 2021, I'm going to choose one or two of these practices in the back of this card, and I'm really going to give myself to them as I put in effort to getting nearer to God, to abiding more in His love, to remembering He is the vine and I'm merely a branch, and outside of the vine, I won't have the the life-giving nourishment that God wants to give to me. And so I want to give myself more and more to abiding in the vine. And maybe it's you give yourself to a life group where you grow in interdependence with others. But you say, God, I give you my heart and I want to be seized more by the power of your great affection. I don't want to be seized by more and badder and better in this world anymore. Those things always get my eyes, but I want you, Lord Jesus, to have my eyes. I want to be satisfied by you. And you take the long view of, God, would you help me in this over the next several months? And you experiment with a few different practices and you talk to someone who's a little bit further along in their spiritual development than you are. And slowly but surely over time, God offers transformation to us. It's not a myth. It's not for other people. The good life is for you. Jesus come to give the good life to you. He came that you would have life and have it in greater abundance. He came that as we dwell in him, the beautiful fruit of the Spirit would be ours. It would overflow from us over to other people's lives as well. This isn't for someone else, it's for you. Receive it with thanksgiving. Father, we we ask of you that this would be true for our church. We've settled for a long, long time. Every one of us on stage have settled. Every one of us in the seats have settled. And we don't want to settle for secondary things. We want your vision for our lives, Lord Jesus. You are our creator. You are a redeemer. You are a sustainer. You know what is best for us. So, Father, would you remove from our minds the things that we focus on that are secondary to your grace? And would you help us to focus again on the beautiful, good character of God dwelling on you, studying your word, meditating on your truths, and being changed by you? Be our vision, God. Be our vision. Be thou my vision, we say. 
by faith, we want you to be our dream. We want you to be our vision. We want you to be our portrait of the good life that you would intend for us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.